You are listening to episode 33. This episode is brought to you by my new course, How to Dominate LinkedIn with Your Personal Brand. Do you feel like when you're on the LinkedIn platform, you're not really sure how to actually navigate it? Does it feel clunky or confusing? And do you have all these connections, but you're not sure how to really leverage those connections and how to really show up virtually in presenting your personal brand? Well, that is what this course is about because since September, I've gone from 1,500 connections to about 8,000 connections on LinkedIn. Not only that, I've gotten clients through my content and people have actually reached out to me to speak for virtual speaking engagements. So if this is something that you would really like to capitalize on and take advantage of and learn about, then this course is definitely for you. And you can learn about it more uh, in my show notes and I will have the link to the waitlist just for you. And now on with the show. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fian O'Brien. On today's episode, I get to interview James Sowers. He is one of Forbes' top 50 angel investors in the world. He actually came in at 22. And with over 65 investments and counting, this is all the more impressive since he came from humble beginnings. James was adopted from South Korea in 1974 from a couple in Maryland, Baltimore. And growing up as a minority, and looking for his sense of identity in his surroundings. He looked to legends like Jackie Robinson, Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, and Ted Williams to learn how to really navigate as an individual in a space. In addition to that, he also learned about business and success and failure from the stories of Shelby Davis, Ben Graham, and Jess Livermore, and even the Rockefellers. I quote James in saying that, I think too many people in life conform that's one thing I learned from these books. And due to the storms in the region at the time we did this interview, we actually lost some of him telling about this past that he's had and the impact that it's had on his life. But what you will get to hear in today's very short episode is his advice on investing, Bitcoin, and trending industries in 2020. I know you will love learning from James Sowers in this episode. Reinvest the difference that they don't spend. So basically, you know, if they earned $1,000 a week and they only spent $800, they, they could um, invest the $200, for example. Because obviously, the more, more you save, the compounding over time is going to be the better. So I'm really big into living, you know, below, below your means and investing the, the difference. And over time, it really compounds and adds up, but it takes a lot of time. 
And I think that's the hardest part. Anybody can do it, but everybody doesn't have the discipline because they start doing it and then they see some clothes or something they want. And they're like, oh, forget that investing this week. And they go and buy the clothes, but then, you know, they're not even using the clothes two years from now or even nowadays I hear with fast fashion two weeks because they want a different picture on Instagram. They can't even have the same outfit or something like that. But right. just, I think habits has a lot to do with it. So if you form the habit of saving, even if it's just $5 a week over time, it gets easier and easier. And then it starts compounding. And I think it's really good too, if people have kids now with these things like the $5 slices, when someone's like a really little baby, when they're first born, if you start saving for them, then even though it's $5 a week, by the time they're 18, it amounts to a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you for really um, fleshing that out and really explaining the mindset behind it and how it's really about yeah, habit development at the end of the day. And so for you, what was your biggest obstacle in entering both investing and investing in Bitcoin, actually? So just even to start investing in general, like getting into the stock market was becoming old enough to actually open a brokerage account because um, even though they have uniform miners accounts, my parents didn't really understand that or know what it was. And they thought, you know, it was all gambling for rich people or whatever. And um, so that was one obstacle. But the big obstacle, in fact, then in Bitcoin was, is it was hard to get because um, it wasn't like now you can just Google it. And there's all these tutorials. You have to figure it out yourself. And um, especially with things like Ethereum and, down- and downloading browsers and using this thing called MetaMask, it wasn't easy. I mean, a lot of people, including myself, had lost coins trying to participate in ICOs and just messing up with wallets, messing up your password or your phrase or getting locked out. I mean, it's I'm sure it still happens. And now there's this thing called DeFi, where it's kind of the, the new hot wave in um, cryptocurrencies and stuff. And that's kind of difficult too, it, it, because um, a lot of it's, you have to run your own node and things like that. So it's not easy. It's complicated stuff. So some of these things always have barriers in the beginning. And then after time, they get easier and easier. And it's my thesis that the average man won't really adopt crypto until it's real easy where they just pick it up and they press a button. And it's working behind the scenes and they don't even know it's doing it. So a lot of consumer apps, I think, and stuff will be built when you don't have to have a consensus mechanism or run your own node. Because right now it's too much friction. So by removing the friction, almost like a technology inflection with Uber where people press the button and the taxi cab showed up, but it wasn't a taxi cab anymore. It was your everyday driver that could be your neighbor doing it. And I think one thing that people don't realize that made that possible was geotagging on your phone. It wasn't just having the iPhone and having the app. It was the ability to geotag the location because it was able to find the closest guy who could come pick you up. So it only took five minutes to 10 minutes instead of taking 30 minutes, like when people had to call a cab or longer because it was saving the people time. So I believe a lot of things in finding great companies, even in public, private markets, doesn't matter. Things that make people's lives easier, kind of change time, condense time, the way the railroads did and the telegraph and things like that over time in the old way, save people time. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. So Bitcoin right now isn't the most user-friendly, but over time, when it becomes that way, that's when you think there'll be more adoption, um, like anything else. And another question I too is in light of investment what are some of the trends you're seeing now in light of covid that you think are would be interesting industries for people to consider looking at or maybe investing in yeah bitcoin's gotten a lot easier just real quick on that now because it's easy it's easy to open up a coinbase account now so it's easier for people to get a little bit of bitcoin there's exchanges like coinbase and voyager and things like that where people can get it but i think a lot of things with the bitcoin blockchain a lot of people don't know you can send messages and information to bitcoin blockchain i actually think that may become part of how it's used in the future but right now that that's a lot more difficult than just opening a coinbase account and getting bitcoin but as far as people sending it peer-to-peer and having their own wallet, 
where they're actually storing the Bitcoin themselves. That, that's still not as easy as, you know, just opening a Coinbase account or pressing the button and getting your Uber car. But I think with COVID now, you have to ask yourself, like, what's going to change and what's not going to change because of COVID? Because remember how I was talking about the habits. I think the longer we're on semi-lockdown or 100% lockdown, depending on where you are, people's habits are going to change. And I think even employers are realizing, hey, I don't have to have 900 million people in the office at once. Some people can be remote. If I'm in San Francisco, I can hire people in places where it costs less money, where there is just as much talent. So I don't have to have everybody at work every day. Now, I do believe it's not going to be 100% remote because people are going to want to get together, have meetings maybe once a week or once a month or see their colleagues. But I really think that there's going to be some degree of decentralization and remote working. So you have to ask, how is that going to change technology? What's going to need? need to be built. One thing I think is cybersecurity is a big problem when everyone's remote because now they're using their home, even if it's a work computer, just logging on at home and things like that, big chance of compromise or different things on their phone or being on Zoom, just a big chance. So something like that. And then also too, I think maybe um, with disinfecting, maybe with technology, there's going to be some kind of UV lighting at somebody events if we are, don't already have it at mainstream. Maybe we have it, but it's hard to use, but there'll be something where it's real simple where you just put a light and it's a UV lighting that helps kill germs or something like that, different things like that. And I've always been saying that we're moving towards um, every business being a computer business with code in its nervous system. And I really think that COVID has really sped that up. So stuff that would have took 10 years is happened in like 10 months. And it's just going to keep being more rapid and rapid and rapid. And people are going to find ways to make life easier with technology. And I really believe that eventually our clothes, like our shirts will be smart. So pe people, if they want to lose weight, they'll get in shape. It'll be easier because they'll say you're eating too many carbs, you're eating too many of this, your heart rate's too high, that your clothing will be smart. You know, maybe that takes 5, 10, 20 years. I have no idea. And even our brains could somehow be connected to the internet with computer interfaces or something like that. And we're moving into more personalized medicine where the AI is getting a lot better, where it's going to help and say, hey, this medicine is going to work better for you, cure this disease. Or you may have like this forming in your blood and you wouldn't have known it before and they inject you with little nanobots and finds it and kills the cancer before it gets there, where it actually harms you. I mean, just all kinds of stuff like that. And I think COVID is really also causing people to have mental issues, especially the younger people. And we don't know what effect it's going to have on kids that you know, were five years old where they just started going to school and they've spent like two months in school and then school got closed and who knows how much longer they're not in school. It's going to be some percentage of their life where they didn't get to learn and communicate with other children when they were on lockdown. Mm -hmm. So I really think mental health things are going to also be part of the future. I mean, things like, um, even things pharma psychedelics like company MindMed does, which is a public company that trades in Canada, where they're going to use certain types of psychedelics that's approved, you know, by the FDA and stuff to cure mental illness and help with depression and PSTD and things like that, especially with all the issues I think we have with like a lot of the military when they come back from the wars and stuff, you know, they have PTSD and it's hard for them to um, get reacquainted. And I think a lot of people have PTSD and they just, they just don't know it. I mean, not just military, but just people from our everyday lives and COVID has probably caused a lot of that on everyday people. I love that you t um, are touching on that because yes, I agree with you. Uh, PTSD isn't just, just for the military, it's it comes from so many traumatic versions of traumatic events. Um, and then kind of wanted to ask you a bit more on that. So what you're discussing here, is that what you call precision medicine? And I believe I heard you kind of discussing it on an interview with Cindy Wong. So 
Is, is that what you mean? Um, just to kind of give our audience who might be trying to catch up with you too on what do you mean by all this personalized medicine? Um, do, you, do you mind elaborating on that a little bit? Yeah, so I kind of think of it about like creating a better life through the in innovation and the intersection of technology and biotechnology. So yeah, that is kind of a pre precision medicine, but it may not be in the same way that when you hear precision medicine, people think of like a designer drug because it's kind of designer drugs, but you're using technology to really get it designed just for you. So that would fall under like gene editing and um, anti-aging even. But I think of anti-aging as not just looking younger and feeling younger, but also actually keeping us from aging as fast because I've been reading a lot about how aging might actually be a disease. So if we can find ways to stop that, that we, we might live to be 150. And if we make it to 150 to 500 to 1,000, because I know in the olden days, if you read like in the Bible and stuff, it says people are 900, 1,000 years old. And somebody told me that, that you have to divide by 10 if the calendar was different. But how do we know that? We weren't there. They might have really lived to be 1,000 or 1,500 right, years old. Right, right. That's fascinating, though, because, like, yeah, if you think of aging like your disease and as parts of the body, like, deteriorating, um, if that is actually able to be replaced by technology, then you might actually have something to keep people going. Yeah, I think we're getting to a cost inflection, too, where genomic medicine is um, costing less and less. Like, it used to be a lot more to sequence genes, like, hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands and now you know thousand dollars or people can do their 23 MEs for 99 dollars so i think the cost curves of things coming down are going to make this stuff more mainstream over time yeah it's a really interesting point you have there and <laughs> definitely something i'll have to research more on too like what strides are people taking to actually make this longevity and healthy aging possible so another thing i wanted to ask you is you you're also very um passionate about seeing more diversity in the space, the tech space particularly. So do you want to talk about like what are some of the things you're hoping to see in the future in, in light of that? Yeah, I think more diversity in, in everything, not just tech, but also um, just in all different perspectives of thinking. So, you know, if you have people from all groups and all genders too, the different perspectives of thinking will allow people to use first principles and people invent things that we never thought possible. Because, you know, if you get a group of all the same people together, people who always think the same, I think it becomes like an echo chamber where people are always thinking the same thing. But if you get a diverse group of people, you know, I, don't, I would hope they wouldn't all just agree to be nice, that you could have like, you know, professional or um, respectful debates. And then the best idea would win and there would be a lot more experiments. And then people who you would think would never even have the best idea, would come up with ideas that could change the world. Maybe even things that could regenerate like our organs or something like that. Because I always found it curious that like lizards can regenerate their tails and things like that. Why can't we regenerate our organs and things like that? So how can people get on the organ transplant list? And you may need technology for help and you may need to pre 3D print some kind of thing, which technology is working towards. But I, I don't see why that couldn't be our future. And that would definitely help extend life and make people live for, I mean, they say forever, but I think when they say live forever, they only mean like a thousand years. <laughs> Yeah, so so neat. Yeah, and 3D printing has definitely gone up with everything uh, going on right now. Um, oh yeah, I have another question. Why are you such a fan of angel investing? Yeah, so it's not just angel investing, but the one thing about angel investing is um, you get asymmetric returns. So you know you, you can't you can't lose more than you invested, but the returns could be a hundred x, a thousand x if you hit the right one. And not only that, by angel investing, you get to meet with and work with some of the, the best people in the world trying that are solving problems, making life better, lowering costs, 
Th- those are the kind of companies that are going to change the world. The relationship aspect of angel investing is kind of the unique aspect that you enjoy of it. Right. I, I definitely enjoy, enjoy that and, and getting to work with different people and learn different things. I think lifelong learning is one of the keys to success in whatever people do, because there's always going to be ups and downs where people get knocked down and you have to get back up. That was one of the things I learned from reading those books. Like even like the Rockefellers and the Carnegies, they all had bad times too. And it was this one guy, Jesse Livermore, who was one of the greatest traders of all time, literally back in the early 1900s would make literally hundreds of millions and then lose it all to zero. And then he had to make it back again. I mean, that's kind of extreme, but, but everybody has ups and downs. And I even remember um, seeing on, um, I think Susie Arman's show, she said, you know, her grandfather used to say peaks and valleys. Hopefully you have more peaks and valleys, but I think the rhythm of everybody's life is ups and downs, no matter who they are. Even like the greatest billionaires, like you know Jeff Bezos and all them, they they all have ups and downs, and people like Mark Zuckerberg and people like that, Elon Musk. I mean, there's a lot of ups and downs. Just part of the process. And um, my final question is, what do you value the most about the position you're in today and the role that you have, both as an angel investor and uh, investing in general, and and being able to, I guess, inspire people with what you do. The ability to uh, um, work with the people you want to work with and um, not, you know, punch a time clock and be able to use critical thinking. And also, you know, hopefully other people who were either adopted or, or came or, you know, grew up in um, like the city, like Baltimore, can see that people can make it out. And if you just keep trying and working hard, hopefully it inspires somebody else to um, do something great. That's amazing. No, thank you so much for that. And thank you for sharing uh, yeah. not only your inspirational story, but really sound advice on investing and just getting people interested in Bitcoin, because I know I personally was curious and not really sure how it works. So thank you for breaking that down for our audience today. And where can they find yeah, you? Thanks for having me, having me too. And <laughs> Ethereum too. Don't forget Ethereum because that, that's actually could be, you know, be pretty big too um so yeah people can find me on um twitter and then i'm on tiktok now it's the asian cowboy because somebody else took asian cowboy i don't even think they're asian by looking at their picture but that's okay and then um, i'm on linkedin and um on instagram at jj sowers awesome thank you so much for sharing with the audience today i really appreciate it. thanks so much again james yeah th- thanks for having me